Well, it's good to be back in church tonight. Amen. Good crowd tonight. Man, I, you know, when a preacher preaches a, a first time or after a while uh, at a church and some people show up, he feels excited about it. When they come back the second time, he wonders what in the world's going on. Are they coming to hear somebody else or, or what's happening? But I appreciate you being here this evening. It's such a joy for me to have some dear friends. Uh, I grew up with this dear man, and uh, um, we had a bus route to a town called Patrick, South Carolina. Anybody know where that is? Up in the sand hills of South Carolina? You've got to be lost or out of your mind, one or the other, to be going to Patrick. And we had a bus route from our church up in that community, and um, so there were times we would have 50 or 75 come from up in Patrick. But how many of your family do you think came at one time? It seemed like it was 50 or 75, but it probably, it probably was 25 or 30 of them at times. Came on an old rickety, rickety bus down into South Carolina, and um, I thank the Lord for the cross of Calvary, and I thank the Lord to be able to, I'm in the middle of crying, and you're telling me to turn on. <laughs> uh, are y'all yelling at me too up there? Uh -huh. um, I, I am so thankful for what God does through the church and through the, and I'm thankful for the bus ministry. I'm glad you still have the bus ministry going. And um, I hope if you haven't gotten, if you haven't yet gotten to meet our friends that you will afterwards. I want you to take your Bible tonight, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm going to try to get on the message. Matthew chapter 17. Thank you for the water up here again. I don't know how many of these are mine, but I'll take all of them. I tell Every now and then I'll preach at a, a church and I'll say, well, this is a 30-minute glass of water. And uh, that's 30 minutes worth of preaching. So I've got at least 45 minutes worth of preaching here. And I told a church that one time and I came back on Sunday night and there was a little thimble sitting up on the pla <laughs> uh, up on the pulpit. <laughs> I, and I, all I did, I looked over and I said, okay, I get the hint. And uh, um, we'll try to keep it short tonight. Matthew chapter 17. I want us to look into a chapter that has intrigued me often. And I hope I am not going to step into the preaching of Brother Beckham. And um, I'm thankful for how God uses him in the avenue of prayer. And I tell you what, I think our churches need revivals of prayer. And I thank the Lord for what God did for you through the preaching of God's Word. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 17. And, and I'm not going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word for time's sake this evening. But I'm going to be, begin reading in um, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? 
bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, them, because of your unbelief. For ver verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, for us as preachers, I don't know about you, but I enjoy preaching from this passage of Scripture. And if I had my choice in preaching from this passage of Scripture, I would stop my remarks at verse 20. Because it's wonderful to be able to talk about the ability as a child of God to be able to move mountains. I don't know about you, but there's been things in my life and maybe things in our family that seemingly were mountain-moving experiences that we needed God to do something. And I'm thankful that at times we have seen the Lord come through in a miraculous way. And God is a mountain-moving God. But we see this story, and I'd love to stop there, but the story goes on to verse 21, and I will finish the message this evening in looking at verse 21, but I want us to bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here once again, and thank you for the good service that you gave us this morning. Thank you for the Sunday school hour, the wonderful testimony. Dear Lord, thank you for the time of singing that we've had today. Thank you for the kindness of God's people here at this church. Thank you for the graciousness to the ladies this evening. Thank you for the beautiful room to stay in the lovely gift basket. And dear Lord, just the kindness of each one that we've met here. And Father, we're grateful for those that you brought to the cross of Calvary this morning those that we were able to see saved. And dear Lord, uh, maybe as you spoke to us as Christians, the things that you did. But Father, we've come here to this Sunday night service and we need to hear from you. I need you to speak to my heart. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us as God's people as we see the power of the commission that you have given to us to partake in. Thank you for so many in this church that are involved in the work of God. And we pray that there may be some that are still sitting on the sidelines that they will get their hearts in tune with you. Father, that they can see some true revival in their heart to do the things of God. And dear Lord, we'll thank you and praise you. And once again, we ask for the spirit of the Holy One to come down. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have looked at this story and read this story, and as preachers, we've preached out of this story, and I want to give you the crux of it for just a minute. And then I'm going to give us three statements that are given out of this passage of Scripture that I want to bring together the message tonight. But we find here the story of a man that had evidently been following the Lord, and we know that in that small region of the world, a region that's now in such conflict, 
But you go along the Sea of Galilee in that small region where I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 17 or 18 of the, the miracles of the Lord Jesus were performed on his earthly ministry. All around the Sea of Galilee, the maniac of Gadara, um, the walking on water, the, the many miracles that were done in that area. And in the same region, we find this story. There were a multitude of people that were following the Lord because they had heard of the miracles that the Lord had done. And so we find here in verse 14, the Bible says, and they were, when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man. Oftentimes in these stories that God gives us, and, and can I say this? The stories that God puts in, in the scripture are there not just as a filler. There are lessons that God wants us to learn from each story that's there. There are even in the parables that God gave. The, God was trying, the Lord was trying to teach the disciples something. But even in those parables, God has something for us to learn. And so we find that this multitude, as they were following the Lord, a man brought his son, and in verse 15 he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. Now we don't know exactly, we don't know all the problems that this young man have had, but I believe, as we will see later on in the scripture, that this young man had, was demon-possessed. And the Bible said of this man that he was uh, sore, vexed. He was a lunatic. He was out of his mind. There's only twice in my life that I have ever, that I, I believe I have ever been around somebody that I, I knew was demon-possessed. One of them was a teenager. And it was one of the most chilling things that I had ever been around in my life. And in this passage of scripture, this young man was so vexed in his spirit. Matter of fact, uh, it, it, as you study scripture, you put words um, of scripture together. And it was an interesting thing that is, as, um, as, let me think of the character that I'm, uh, Lot, as he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember what was said about Lot's spirit? His spirit was so vexed. The same terminology that we find of this man that when he was around the, the demon possession of this world or the, uh, the demonic spirits of this world, the Bible says that he was so sore vexed and he was a lunatic in his thinking that the Bible says oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to the water. Now, I always like to put myself in the stories of the scripture. I want us to think about if this would have been our child, our son or daughter. And we, we knew the problem that this child was having. And here he was possessed with this, these devils. And the Bible says that he would fall into the fire and off into the water. He could not control himself. He was out of his mind. And can we, we imagine if this was our child, what it would be like for us to go to the market or to go um, down to wash our clothes in the river or uh, if we were going to somewhere, some neighbor's house, that we would have to keep our eye on this child all the time because we never knew what was going to happen. 
For a mother, certainly, just the anxiety of your heart. The consternation of the heart of a, of a father that he never knew what he was going to do and maybe he would hurt somebody else or he would hurt himself. And his mind and heart had to be on this child all the time. But this father, the, this family, as they were following the disciples of the Lord... They had heard not only of the miracles that the Lord Jesus had performed, but they had also heard of miracles that the disciples had performed. So as soon as they could, in trying to squeeze in among this multitude of people that were following him, he brought this young man to the disciples. And I don't know what happened I'm sure that, they, that he brought the young man to the disciples and with tears in his eyes and maybe kneeling down on the ground and just begging some of the disciples, he told them the story of this man, young man. And he said, this is my last hope. We've tried everything that we could. There's nothing that can help this man. He brought him to the disciples but a sad thing was said about their interaction with the disciples. His interaction with the disciples. In verse 16, the Bible says, And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, I want you to take, hold your finger here, and I want, uh, want you to go back to Matthew chapter 10, if you would. And I want to lay the foundation, most of you know this anyway, but I want to lay the foundation for this. Because we go back into chapters 9 and 10, and we see the commissioning of the Lord as he commissioned his disciples to go and do his work for him. And we begin in verse 1, and he, when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them what? He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, going down, if you would, into in verse 5, the Bible says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles... And into the city of the, of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Freely you have received. Who had they received it from? They had received it from the Lord Jesus Christ. They had received the commissioning power as he was leaving them to do the work that he had called them to do. He was leaving this commissioning power and saying, I've given you the power. Now go. Heal the lepers. Cleanse those that are sick. Uh, take those that are, are possessed and cause the demons to be able to go out. But now let's go back over to Matthew chapter 17. We find again that 
these, this man and his son were brought to the disciples. I brought it, verse 16, and I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bringing him hither to me, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Boy, I'm thankful that when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and fills the life with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. I'm thankful for an almighty God. But there are three things that I want us to see from this passage of Scripture very quickly. Three statements that are given. One is a question. In verse 19, the Bible says this, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, and they said something simple. Why? Now, I think there's something wise on the part of the disciples because the Bible says that the disciples came to Jesus apart. Now, Brother Paulie, if I would have been given the power to heal and the power to be able to cast demons out, and I wasn't able to by the power of God, I would ask Jesus if I could go back into the furthest tree from me where I was and get away from everybody else. Because can you imagine how embarrassed these disciples were? That they knew that they had been given the power by the Lord, but they could not cure this young man. So the question is asked, Lord, why could we not, why could we not heal him? Why could we not heal him? And the answer is given in verse 2, or in verse 20. And Jesus said unto him, because of. We see the question is asked, why? And now the answer is going to come, because of. And here comes the answer. And to me, this seems like a simplistic answer. Now, if if God had given me the power to be able to perform something of this nature, I would, I would think back to the children of Israel as they're coming um, into the city of Ai. And the Bible says that there was sin in the camp. And the Bible talks about that sin that was in the tent and that one person, that, that one family, that sin was in the camp. And it was a sin against God. And I can see something like this happening in this situation. And we can look back and say, well, it's because the disciples are living in sin. And their power is gone. But we don't, we don't see some unusual, dirty sin that's brought up about these disciples. The Lord said this. He said, it's because of your unbelief. Now, when we read through Scripture, and I don't have time to go all through a, a lot of the Scripture on the faith, but we understand that the opposite of unbelief is faith. 
And without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But the disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, why could not we cure him? And Jesus said this simple thing, it's because of your unbelief. Do you know what I, I, I have thought about that at times and said, that is a simplistic sin, so to speak, that God, God said of them. But do you know what, if I study scripture, the sin that so dishonors God and the sin that sends people to hell is the sin of unbelief. Not believing in who God is and in his power and what God's word says is true. Not believing it, unbelief in God being who he said he is. And do you know what? The, the disciples of, of the Lord had lived with the Lord, had followed the Lord, had served side by side, had prayed with him. They had, done, they, they had fished with him. They had done all of these things. But yet when it came to continuing the commission that God had called them to do, they did not believe in him enough to trust that his power that he had given them could be evident in their life. He said, because of your unbelief. For verily if ye say, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed. I was in Israel and I, I wanted to bring back some mustard seeds because they have them in just about every store there. And so I picked up a big old handful of them and stuck them in my coat pocket and I said, I'm going to bring them back and just pass them out to everybody. Now I know you can get them here, but it's not quite the same as getting one from Israel. So I brought back a big handful of them. I was ready to pass them out on the airplane and everything else. By the time I got back to the United States, almost all of them were gone. Because every time I'd pull my hand out of my pocket, four or five of them would stick to my hand and I'd lose them. And I think I ended up having enough to give to my wife and daughter and maybe my mom and dad and that was about it. I am so thankful that when God talks about faith that is able to do the work that these disciples were asked to do, I am so thankful that he puts in there that it's just a simple faith. Because there are times in my life that my faith is not very big. There are times in my life that I cannot see beyond, beyond my own weaknesses. There are times in my life what, that I see what needs to be done and what can be done. But in trusting God that he can do it, no matter if it's in Kannapolis, North Carolina, or in Springfield, Missouri, or in Germany, or wherever it is, in seeing that God can do what needs to be done wherever we are, sometimes we cannot see the faith and cannot believe that God can do it through us. He said, it's because of your unbelief. Again, in verse 20, he says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily, if I, verily I say unto you, 
If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I'm thankful that God clarifies this in Scripture that he reminds us that in our own strength, nothing is possible. But with God, all things are possible. Hey, what a wonderful truth to be given to us, whether we're bus workers or whether we're Sunday school teachers or whether we're moms or dads or preachers or evangelists or missionaries. I am so thankful that with God, all things are possible. But here's the third word that I want us to see, or the third statement. In verse 21 is the verse that I would like to skip. The Bible tells us in 20, it's because of your unbelief, but if you just be willing to trust me, you can have faith that will move mountains. But he said this, he said, how be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Hudson Taylor said this, God and God alone is sufficient for God's own work. Hudson Taylor said this, God uses men who are weak enough to lean upon him. I get to preach in Bible colleges every now and then and I, I enjoy it and we've been able to preach in a, a, a number of our Bible colleges. And after being in Bible college, I, I've preached at my alma mater um, and in preaching there, I gave them the story of my third year in college and I was as busy serving God as I believe anybody could be. I was running a bus route and um, I was doing diff many different ministries for the church. Busy in school, busy working as uh, in a steel factory there in the area. And I was busy serving God. But I have no doubt in my mind that one of the years that I've struggled more than any others in my spiritual life was that third year in Bible college. And I have found this to be true that oftentimes as we go to Bible college or as we're being trained in a, in a church, that we can learn what it means to serve God. We can learn how to be a good bus worker or we can learn how to be a, a good member of the choir. We can learn how to be a good Sunday school teacher or we can learn how to be an evangelist or a missionary. We can learn those things mentally and physically and we can study for it. But there's something different between us knowing how to do it and being endowed with the power from on high to have something that works through us and in us to cause us when we come to the end of our rope that God begins to do the work that he needs to. And I believe it's missing. I believe if there's anything that's missing in our normal independent Baptist church today is that we've got faithful people that are coming to church and still doing what God wants them to do. But yet they have lost sight of the power that is commissioned to us to move things along by the grace of God. A young preacher came to A.W. Tozier years ago 
And he looked at Dr. Tozier after he had spoken eloquently as he did. And he said, Dr. Tozier, he said, if the Holy Spirit tomorrow was removed from my church, next Sunday our people would know no different. And can I tell us this, I believe with all of my heart that we are filled with churches of good people, good, good, uh, steady people, people that love the Lord, people that enjoy the fellowship, but they have no idea what it means to be empowered, endowed by the presence and the power of an almighty God. And we need to, be a, to have a refreshing, a fresh oil of God's people knowing what it means to get a hold of the throne of God and in childlike faith believe that God can do what he said he would do. Amen. You say, well, Brother Lancaster, don't you know how wicked an environment that we live in? Yes, I know. And do you know what I know? We have a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able. He's able. He is able. But the sad thing is, is that we're, most of the time, we're not willing and able to get a hold of God. Dr. C.H. Spurgeon had that great tabernacle in London. My wife and I have had the opportunity to go to the um, tabernacle a couple of times. But in the olden days when Dr. Spurgeon was there at Metropolitan, oftentimes they would have anywhere between 10 and 15,000 people that gathered in that old wooden framed, wooden building. Can you imagine there in that auditorium? It, it was not a large, as far as uh, to the back, it wasn't large, but it, it was a spans, expansive building. But without a microphone, he was able to preach to all of those. He did not give an invitation like we do. But oftentimes at the end of the service, he would say, if, some, if God has approached someone's heart and you need to speak to someone, my office is open. And all, uh, many times all evening and night and sometimes throughout the week, people would continue to come to his office. So a young preacher came to him before he was about to uh, go on the pl about, about to preach. And he said, Dr. Spurgeon, I followed your ministry, but let me ask you this. Uh, I hear about you from people all over the world. You're a wonderful preacher. You, the ministry here is amazing. What is the key to your ministry? And he took the young man quickly and he said, come with me. And he opened up a hatch door that was behind his pulpit that went down into the boiler room of that old building. And as they opened up the hatch door and began to go down, the man could hear voices down from below and as he looked down into that boiler room, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were on their face before God, praying for God to send revival in that church service. Praying for God to move in an unusual way. And 
Dr. Spurgeon wisely just said to that young man, he said, son, you want to know where my ministry comes from? It's from these praying people. I wonder if this dear church got a hold of the fact that prayer could move Canapolis. I wonder how much more we would begin to pray for God to bless our preacher and bless the ministries and the efforts and those things that go on through this ministry. I wonder how much more time we would spend in prayer. And I, again, I, I, I don't mean to get on Dr. Beckham's um, messages. But there needs to come a time that we understand that if we are saved here on this earth, God has commissioned us to do a work for him. Are we going to do it in our flesh or are we going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Are we as parents going to raise our children in our own power or are we going to do it in the power of God? My dad pastored um, a little town in a little town called Philadelphia, South Carolina. Richard knows exactly where it is. But dad took an old church that's on the South Carolina registry. And all it was was a bunch of tobacco farmers, pretty much. And he took that church years ago, and, and the church began to grow. It was out in the country. Um, all it had was a cemetery and some cotton fields behind it, and some, um, it had some tobacco fields behind it. But God began to grow that church some. And God spoke to my dad's heart about preaching on the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in dad's youthful preaching, he said this. He said, I know that I need this. And we've got a couple of young preacher boys in our church. And he said, I know that they need it. And he said, I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit this morning and see what the Lord will do. And he preached with his heart on the Holy Spirit of God. And as the invitation was given, the altar was filled, both sides in the, in the front, both sides of the altar. There were ladies there at the altar. There were some teenagers at the altar. There were some of those old leather-faced farmers that were at the altar. And they, they came to that altar with tears in their eyes, weeping before God for the Holy Spirit to empower them for what they needed. And my dad, as he started stopping and, and praying with some of these people, he prayed with some of these young people, these young preacher boys and some of these young men and started praying with some teenagers and a couple of the farmers and then he got around and my mother had slipped down off of the organ and had gotten down and was weeping at the altar and saying, God, I need the Holy Spirit as a pastor's wife, as a mother. And you know what? I believe it is a lost art, so to speak, today for God's people to understand that, yes, we can go through the motion of ministry, but we will not accomplish what God wants us to accomplish and what God can accomplish if we are not pleading and begging for the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Can't do it. Can't do it.
We can sing a good choir song. But God cannot use it like he wants to unless we as a choir are filled with the Holy Spirit. We can teach a good Sunday school lesson that we have studied for and we worked hard for. But if the unction of the Holy Ghost is not there, we will not accomplish what needs to be accomplished. There was an old man in our church in South Carolina, and Richard will remember this name as well, but his name was Hudson King. Hudson King was an old debased man of our town. Hudson King was a wild man at times. And as a middle-aged man, a middle-aged to older man, he was so wild with his thinking that a couple of teenage boys had a pretty girlfriend in our town. And he set out to try to find this girl and have his own way. These two boys found out about it and they ran his car off the road and <clears throat> took a tire, a tire arm and beat him almost to death. Left him in the ditch, ready to die. Weeks, uh, he was in the hospital for a number of days. But finally, my dad came to him and somebody had asked him to go see him. And Hudson King trusted Christ as his Savior. Man, what a guy he was. But God began to work in his heart. There were times that he was in the hospital. He, he, when he got saved, he fell in love with the Lord so much that every person he passed, he talked to him about the Lord. Every person. He was in the hospital, still recovering. And my dad came up there one day, and he had asked my dad to leave some of those papers that he had, uh, tracts of the church, and he left some with him. And so he would pass those out to every nurse and doctor and person that would come in. But one day, Dad came in, and Hudson King had the phone on his stomach, and he had the white pages out. And Dad, as he came in, he was hanging up the phone, and Dad said, Hudson, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm just tired of being in this hospital and I, can't, I don't have anybody else I can talk to about the Lord. And he said, I've just started at A in the phone book and I'm going through every person in the phone book and calling them and asking them, have you ever been saved? I remember one of the things about Hudson King here is this debased man that was saved from the, the most wicked things that you could imagine. But God changed his life. And he told my dad, he said, I want to die serving God. And there's some people here in this room that say, well, I just don't, I, I don't have the personality of a preacher. Or I don't have the personality of a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. There's not much that I can do. I'm just going to sit back and come and be, be excited about church and do my thing here at church. But I just don't think that I have what it takes to get out and tell other people about the Lord. Here's this debased old rotten man 
that God saved him and there was never a day in his life that he did not weep and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And I, at our church, when we would have testimony time, he would always have, he would always have a, a big old thing of keys in his pocket and you could hear him standing nervously with those keys rattling. And he would weep and say, I'm thankful for what God's done for me. And he would tell about somebody that he's led to the Lord and he would always end his testimony by saying this with tears in his eyes. I wish everybody knew my Jesus. When that old man died, my dad was asked to come and preach the funeral. And in the funeral service, were you there, Richard? In the funeral service, the auditorium was packed from the front to the back. And during the middle of that sermon, my dad stopped for just a minute and said, I'd like to know this. How many in this room this afternoon, how many of you in this room were saved directly or indirectly through the life of Hudson King? And in that room of probably 300 or 350 people, over half of them stood up with tears in their eyes. You know what God wanted us to understand through an old man like that? That God can take somebody that looks like he has nothing and empower them and give them the power to do an amazing work for God. But the sad thing is, and I'm closing, the sad thing is, is we have become so experienced with church. We as independent Baptists know how to do everything to a T. We know how to run buses. We know how to do Sunday school. We know how to do all of it. But what if my daughter came in this room this week? My daughter grew up in a preacher's home. A beautiful girl, just about to turn 32. If you see her now, you would never know that she's an independent Baptist. She hasn't been in our home in over nine years. We haven't talked to her but maybe 30 minutes in the last nine or 10 years. If you were to see her, she doesn't look like a church goer. Do you know what I've prayed? I've prayed that somewhere in this world, when my daughter gets, our daughter, gets to the end of her rope, I have prayed, my wife has prayed over and over again that there will be a person or be a church that she'll slip into that has enough power from Almighty God that it's not that they're coming in to hear great music, although great music is wonderful. It's not that we're coming in and just seeing the smiles of people. 
I want her to be able to come into an independent Baptist church that knows what's right and knows what's good and know how to do things, but know that they have to have God's almighty power to be able to uh, cause people that have come from that type of lifestyle whose lives have been debased by Satan himself. I hope that there are some churches and some people that love God enough that they're willing to say, oh, I need the power of Almighty God. There's drunks outside of the door of this church that need this church to be filled with the power of God. There's drug addicts that need this church to be filled with the power of God. There's people that are caught up in BLM movement that need to know There's a church that loves black people as much as they do white people and they can come and sense the power and presence of Almighty God. The LGBTQT crowd that has turned our nation upside down in so many ways. They need to know that there's a church that stands for truth but by the power of Almighty God can see lives move. Lord, why could we not cast him out? It's because of our unbelief. Do you know what? If we truly believed that the power of God was available for us, like scripture says, do you not think that we would spend more time on our knees begging and pleading for the power of God? Moms, do you need God's power? Dads, teenagers, Sunday school teachers, do we not need God's power? Let's bow our heads this evening.